and welcome our fellow lovers of love and thank you for joining us on this excursion through the stream of consciousness through the river of tranquility and on towards the lake of love yeah i got that one right what do you know that was like one out of here, what, 10 times? I suppose we've done, what, 73 shows. I've gotten it right. Yeah, about 10 times. Probably seems about right. <laughs> of course, I have shortened it. So I should get it right more often than I did in the first time. It was really long. And I still haven't written it down. We've been talking about me needing to write this thing down for a year now. It's on the list. It's on the list. It's on the never every list of things I never get to. Is what it actually is. <laughs> It's on the C priority. A, B, C. It's, it's a C. So it doesn't claim. Yeah. I have a pad over here. Okay. So it's been a been a busy day for you, actually. It's yes, been... I had a very busy. Well, half of it was busy. Uh, I have been up in Oregon for two days. Well, three days. We traveled home today, the third day. And uh, this morning I was over at my uh spent three days with my uh, all three of my girls and two of my grandchildren it was my one of my oldest granddaughter's fourth birthday and we went up for the celebration and the birthday party we went to a pumpkin patch it was fantastic just a great weekend uh, nobody had a fuss over anything really and uh, which is always a win-win. And uh, uh, so this morning um, we visited some and then uh, I had a five-hour drive back and I've been home and just relaxing for a couple hours and I told Jim I'm ready for some intellectual conversation. It's been all about children for two days, which is fabulous. It's all toddler all the time, and yeah, yeah, all toddler well, okay. all the time. But yeah, well, when there was two toddlers around, or I guess only one toddler, one toddler, one toddler, one just above toddler, and and then you know, no, 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 Marina didn't go. Oh, she didn't oh go? my god, I used family name. Oh my god, that's right, that's right. I can edit it on the thing. Can't edit it on the live thing, but I can edit it on the. But it's all right. It's we'll live. Okay. It's just a first name. First names are generally fine, but we do try to avoid them, just out of curiosity, out of courtesy, courtesy more than anything else. Yes. Yeah, it's just a courtesy that we don't. We're here. Out. They're not. Yeah. 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 But you know. And it's going to happen. You sit here and you talk enough. You're going to accidentally say the name. Like, it's just going to happen. You know, instead of, you know, like I was trying to use the generic terms and miss over here and getting a little too, little too ready to have an adult conversation. I think is what's going on over there. But we did. We got the family for the first time in what? Oh, man, it's been a long time. A large chunk of the family got together. I missed your family dinner. Yes, and that was nice. And so, you know, we're actually planning on a full-fledged Thanksgiving this year. So that's going to be nice. You know, we didn't get one last year. And, you know, I think we uh, forget how needy we are for those connections. And I think we do. That, you know, those family functions, those family events, those family get-togethers, you know. Sometimes, especially when we're young, but we take those for advantage. We take advantage of those. We take for granted. Yeah, take take it for granted. Sorry, I, I pulled the wrong word out of the old hat there. Thank you. We take those for granted, not deliberately. It's just, you know, until we lose them, we don't know how really, really important they were to us. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about courage. Not that that has anything to do with have the opening of the show, but what the heck? We bounce around here anyway. But Well, we do, we do a chat about our week, and then we go on to the regularly scheduled program. Well, technically speaking, if you wanted to go for the how we actually run the show, I have an opening monologue where I talk about whatever the general theory of the show goes. Then we have a quick chat about our week. 
Then we go oh, back to the topic. Did we mess up on our? Yeah, well, I thing. did it. I did it deliberately. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I did it. Well, I didn't deliberately. It was a, you know, generically that's how it goes. Then we do the topics of the show, and then I round out, rounding us back to the original theme. It, yeah. Yeah, that's how we end up doing it. And, you know, the the questions and the top, they don't always hit the theme, but there's a generic theme to most of what we try to, what I try to put together. And so if you look over here tonight, it's courage. And so we'll start with, uh, you know, first, before I quote Miss Maya Angelou, Maya, 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 Maya Angelou, um, you know, courage, Angelo. how you define courage is a unique and individual thing. And so let's remember that as we progress through the evening. Courage is an individual thing. We don't know what other people are actually going through. So, you know, what's easy for you is, you know, a mountain for you is a molehill for somebody else. Right? It just is. You can look around the world. It's no different than anything else. You know, writing a book for one person is a, is, is a huge task, a huge ordeal. They can't do it. And, why you, you know, it's not that they can't do it. It takes them a long time and they really have to struggle with it. And then you have other people who can write, you know, three books a month. And one way is, isn't, it's just a different perspective. It just, we have to remember that, that courage is all about perspective. You know, your, your burden is different than somebody else's. And so, you know, don't judge theirs and hopefully they don't judge yours. But if you don't want them judging yours, you sure in the heck can't judge theirs. But as Maya Angelo. And I shouldn't have to, if, if I need to remind you, listeners, of who Maya Angelou is, you need to go uh, do an internet search and pack up on, back up on yourself. She's a poet. Memoir. Memoirist. Uh, yeah, I, I was struggling over how to say that. Thank you. And civil rights activist. And that's why she's just poet. She is, she, she won that thing, the laureate, the, the national poet laureate thing she's a i can't god i'm having trouble with pulling out these friends and she has a uh, or she at least she did have um her life she did a uh special on netflix about her life and it was absolutely fascinating yeah and so she is an outstanding human being now you can disagree with philosophy some particulars of philosophy while still saying you're an outstanding thinker and an outstanding human being, right? You know, these things don't aren't mutually exclusive. So, courage is the most important of all virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. And as we go through life, consistency is a key. You know, what's the one for unforgivable sin? It's hypocrisy. Every other sin can actually be forgiven. They are human failings. Hypocrisy is a choice. You're not following something that you damn well know you shouldn't do because you profess against it. That's what makes it. You know, it's one thing to, to fail as a human being. It's one thing to fail as a human being while wagging your finger at other people for doing the same thing. You know, we're all human beings. We're all failures. You know, it's the original sin. You know, it's just the whole, that's the whole point of forgiveness, of religious forgiveness. It's because we all fail. We all fail to be what we want to be at times. You know, the, the goal in life isn't to be perfect. The goal in life is to be better. I have made bad choices, yes. Yeah. And the problem is, it's not even warning other people, look, I've been down this road. You don't want to go down it. It's bad. It's when you're wagging your finger and being judgmental with other people. That's the problem. That's where hypocrisy comes in. And that's where people don't stop listening to you. And that's where you lose credibility. It's not saying, hey, look, we've seen this. Been there, I've been there, done that. It's not a good path to go down. You know, please rethink this. 
you know, it's, a, it's another thing to dehumanize somebody and, and to wag your finger and you know, pump your chest to some moral authoritarian as you fail. It's why the religious right ultimately failed 20, 30 years ago, because the leadership was full of hypocrites. You know, you're talking about family values while they're out having an affair. And, you know, you know, half the half the world has an affair. So it's something that can be forgiven. Generically speaking, maybe not forgiven in your individual life, but it can be forgiven for happening. Right. You can forgive other you can forgive your sister or your brother or your best friend for having an affair. But you can't forgive your husband or your spouse. Right. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? There's, you know, there's a line, you know, and some people can forgive their spouses for it. Some people can understand that, okay, you know, life was crappy and you made a really bad choice and we're going to try to rebuild our trust. It's a difficult road to, to, to go down, but people do it. It happens. It's not impossible, but it takes a lot of courage just to even try because you're most likely going to get hurt. And you know it because you've been hurt before, but you try again for love, for the children, because maybe you understand that they weren't being themselves. Maybe they were having a mental crisis and you were just, and as much as you're emotionally hurt, you can empathize with how emotionally hurt they were. Yeah. It's, you know, life is complicated. It just is. And so uh, being consistent takes a lot of courage. Because sometimes you have to actually stand against yourself, against your own immediate best interests, because it's the right thing to do. It's like if you find, if you're broke and you find a thousand dollars in a wallet, in a wallet on the street, what do you do? A moral person gives it back. But what if you're desperate? It takes courage to give it back. It takes courage to do the right thing if you're desperate. That's why those stories of the homeless people who find, you know, large sums of money and then do everything they can to return it. That's why people are so impressed because no one expects it. You would completely understand if someone who is at the bottom of society finds a thousand dollar, not steals it, finds it, literally just finds it and takes the money and just takes the cash, doesn't do anything with anything else, just takes the cash and goes on in business. No one would blame them for it. Not really. No, I wouldn't. You know, you like for them to do the right thing. Yeah, but it's but, certainly understandable. It's understandable. You don't expect them to because they're desperate and people at desperate situations you do, do desperate things. Do desperate things. And you know, we didn't steal it. You know, should they have given it back? Yeah. But he didn't actually steal it. And so, you know, it's a different thing. So like we said, courage is uh, individualized. And you can even say contextualized thing. Yeah. It's courage isn't, you know, charging the the machine gun nest, knowing you're gonna die. That's not courage. You know, the courage is doing it because you know you're going to save people later on. You're theoretically surrendering yourself for the greater good. That takes courage. Or what is it? It was a race car driver. And he said, and he, he says, um, what did he say? There's a difference between courage and stupidity. <laughs> he says there's a difference. You know, a race car driver, you know, who live on the edge. He said, but there's a difference between courage and stupidity. And it's, you know, those who last a long time know the difference. Because, you know, 
I'm going to try this is a lot different. Well, this is dumb, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, if I want to win, I'm going to have to take a risk here. How bad do I want to win? Versus, you know. Playing it safe. Yeah, or, or just, you know, yippee and just going for it. You know, there's a difference. That, you know, that's stupidity, you, you know. You know, making the calculated decision to go for it or not based upon whatever, you know, it, and it's an, it, you know, most of us think getting in a race car with, you know, 40 other yahoos driving around a track at 200 miles. The whole damn thing is stupid. <laughs> that's not courageous. That's stupid. But to a race car driver, you know, it's just like a test pilot. I think a test pilot is stupid. You're getting in an experimental plane, <laughs> hand-built, <laughs> you know, not entirely sure that how it's going to work. <laughs> All kinds of systems with, with testing equipment plugged into these experimental systems. You're going to go fly that thing on the razor's edge deliberately. <laughs> Say, hey, let's see what happens when this, if we do this. Okay. See, for me, that's stupid. But if you're a test pilot, and that's kind of your nature, you know, there's a, that's courageous. It's not stupid. He's being courageous. Someone's got to do it. Someone has to. Someone has to run these test planes, these planes out for the first test. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it, but, you know, at 19, maybe would I? Yeah, maybe. But at 40? Well, hell no. <laughs> you know? At 50? There's no way in hell. No, you get me up to 60 again where, you know, you've got less to live for, theoretically. I mean, there's less years. You know, if you're 20, you've got 80 years, theoretically. You know, you're 60, it's 40 years. Eh, it's less of a risk. And those years aren't necessarily the greatest ones. So, you know, well, I'm just saying. I have to keep an eye on you. Off to Mars with me, I'm telling you. No. <laughs> but, come on, Captain Kirk went to space. How come I can't? You're not Captain Kirk. I have better hair. <laughs> space should be allowed to experience my hair. No, I need your hair here. I'll cut some for you. What? No, don't do that. Well, I've got to trim it anyway. All right. So we, we talked about this one a little bit. Don't let internalized ableism stop you from using assistive technology. And this is actually something I am kind of dealing with at the moment with my eye problems. I'm having to adjust to using... Okay, time out. Would what? you please define... Internalized ableism, please. Do I have to actually define that again? Yes, you do. For our listeners. Okay, well, we all know what internalizing is. Okay, so I'm not going to have to go through. But theoretically, ableism is when you... It's judging yourself against the, nor against the theoretical normal. You know, remember, I don't think normal actually exists. But it's when you judge yourself against normal, being judged against theoretical normal, rather than, you know, completing the task. How you complete, the, you know, it's how you do something rather than being able to do something. Yeah. And the article we're talking about, even though we actually don't have to go to the article, but they were talking about using adaptive technology. You know, he in the article is talking about typing, but like I'm having trouble reading. I can't read, which makes it hard to type. I can't read. I can't see things well enough to read easily. And so having to adjust to using simple things like plugins that flip the screen from dark to, you know, from a light background to a dark background if the site doesn't have a native dark mode. It helps. You know, and using things like going through and setting accessibility options on my browser. So my so my mouse wheel is my mouse 
cursor is bigger. My mouse pointer is bigger than normal. Or that it changes its contrast between, like if it's on a black background, it's white. If it's on a white background, it turns black. So I can see it easier. So there's a bunch of little things. And I, I did. I fought it. I'm still fighting it, to be honest. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm still fighting it. I still haven't done anything that reads that reads my stuff to me. I still haven't inserted one of those reading things that a text to voice or whatever it is. So, yeah. you, so it'll read the web page for you. I still haven't done it. I'm being a petulant little child. And I know it. But you know what? <laughs> being a petulant little child comes as easily to a man as it does a child. <laughs> it's, you know, you know, maybe that's why my eyesight keeps getting worse. It's because of being a pain in the butt with myself. But, you know, I'm not psychologically perfect, so, don't, so let's make that clear here. You know, I, I deal with these things as much as anybody. Well, you're dealing well. You appear to be doing well. You you you, you look good. Well, I manage. Yeah. I manage. You know, Friday was a difficult day for me when they told me about my I appointment couldn't be until January 9th. That was uh, difficult. It was emotionally difficult. Dan, I've got a person. I got a guy who's working on getting that done sooner. So, oddly enough, there's contractual and legal obligations to get it done within like 15 business days. So, they're working on it. But, you know, having to jump through all those hoops. You know, having to get asked for Let's talk about this whole ableism and internalizing it. Having to ask for a, a case manager, to ask, ask the insurance company to give me a case manager to help me navigate these types of problems. Right? That's difficult because normal people do it. I fought doing that for a long time. So you can talk about ableizing, you know. I didn't necessarily internalize the ableism because I wasn't doing it because I should be normal. I wasn't doing it because I don't like asking for help. That's an anxiety disorder thing. It's not an internalized ableism thing. So I can't quite relate. I can relate in context because I can see how it happens. But my problem with this is, is that he's still judging himself by the, in the article, yeah. yeah. In the article. See, I'm no longer judging myself from the normal person. I know it's me. I understand that my anxiety disorder has set up thought patterns and my resistance to asking for help, even amongst friends and family and people who I know will help me. You know, I recently had to talk to some colleagues and apologize for not allowing them to help me when they directly asked. And they all, you know, of course... There are people who love and care about you. And you're apologizing for that? Yeah. It's how I keep myself honest. It's how I keep myself from doing that again. It's how I keep you all respecting me. Now, I didn't tell them that part, which I should have. But that's not the point. That wasn't why. The, keeping the respect had nothing to do with the calculation to apologize. That just happens to be a end result of it from a management type perspective. It, it wasn't actually a part of the calculation. It's not relevant. You know, everything else was relevant. That wasn't. But the consequences of doing all those other things is you maintain respect because people know you're honest, even when you're not. Because I wasn't being honest with myself, which led me to be dishonest with them. And that's what I had to explain about. You know, I, yes, I needed to, I needed to, when you asked me, are you okay? I should have said no. Do you need help getting home or something? I should have said yes. <laughs> Instead of, nah, I'm fine. Nah, I'm good. You know? <laughs> right? Was I honest with them? No. Was it something anybody would hold against me? No. 
but I did feel I needed to apologize because I wasn't honest with them. Now, in truth, I wasn't being dishonest with myself. Yes. Which that dishonesty with myself led me to be dishonest with them. And so therefore I had to fix it. Yeah. Now, luckily it's not big of a fix. You just go and explain yourself. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> These people care about you. Right. So they understood. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them went, why are you apologizing? Cause they're, you know, people aren't used to it. I'm a little different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do things a little differently and, but that's, I just have to be open and honest. Otherwise I'm not. And I don't like not being, you know, I'm like a light switch. You know that. Yeah. You're all in. <laughs> And so I, it's, it's the way of countering my anxiety disorder. I can't have gray area because that anxiety disorder will live there. And so I afraid as little bit of that as possible and it makes life easier for me. Oh, enough. No, just for me, other people couldn't do that. You know, they drive themselves crazy having to apologize for those kind of things. And so you shouldn't because, you know, people who love you and care you care about you understand and <laughs> understand you and who you are. And, you know, it's all okay. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm just telling people how I get through my life. You know, I can't judge anybody out there. And that's the whole point about not internalizing ableism because there is no normal. It's not such a thing. And don't allow it. And again, my biggest problem with that perspective, with even with the whole ableism thing, is it victimizes you even more. It doesn't make you stronger. You're still judging yourself. The whole notion of ableism means you're still judging yourself against this theoretical normal. When the reality is you just do things differently. You experience the world differently, so therefore you accomplish your tasks differently. Well, as long as at the end of the thing, you got whatever you need done, done. How does it matter how you got there? Whether you use text to speech or, or speech to text or typed it. The hell does it matter? The task is done. And it's as good as anybody else's. So what do you care? How the, how you, you know, the methodology. Right? Unless the methodology actually matters, and there's times when it does. But, you know, writing something is just writing something. And now, oddly enough, I'm sitting here telling people this, and I'll be honest again, I should use that. And I don't, because my fingers don't work right. They hit the keyboard thing wrong all the time. It's hella frustrating. So I avoid writing. I should use the text to speech thing. You'll get there, boo. And, you know, it even comes in Word now. You don't even have to get some external program. You can just do it right in Word. And, yeah, I, I try. I fail every time I try. I just can't. One of these days. You know me. I'm a light switch. One of these days, it'll flip on, and I'll be fine. Or not. <laughs> or it never will. That's what's going to happen. But, yeah, anyway. Okay, I'm just going to ramble if we go on anymore. So, this one was an interesting one. Now, my lobby wants to take a quick break. So, we are going to take a quick break. The lobby is back, and so are we. Yay! <laughs> All right. So, all I did while we were gone was ram through the, the how to contact us. And if you would like, you can leave a hashtag bloody and on your favorite social media network, and I will try to find you. Which one is on? Hold on. Hashtag bloody. Ooh. Yeah. You now have your own hashtag. Sweet. Use hashtag lovey and we'll find you. You can find me at Jazzrack. 
you can find late night love um, you know hashtag love if you want to leave love you a question on a social media facebook twitter that kind of thing well most of the social medias use hashtag so that's why so i can just search hashtag lovey sweet so and hopefully that will work so all right so where are we at ah what's the difference between toxic positivity and validation now you had to read this article for me because i it my plug-in didn't work no it was the other one it was the other one you told me it was the other one no i thought it was this one no no, I read you the internalized ableism. No. But we did discuss it briefly. Yes, I know. That's okay. So, what's the difference? Okay, what's the difference? Well, in the article, there's this lovely little chart. Being positive uh, is saying this will all be over soon. And validation is it can, it can be hard to deal with uncertainty. I hope it's going to be over soon. Oh, well, I think I can share this graphic. Hold on a second. Share screen. Just enjoy all the free time you have now. It uh, that's being positive. Kinda, it's kind of snarky. What? Validation is it must be hard to have to change your routine. Oh, and this is my favorite. It could be worse. That's being positive. Uh, but validation, it, it, you would say, it sounds like things are difficult right now. You validate the person's feelings. Another personal favorite. Don't worry. Instead, you can say, I can see why you'd feel worried about that. How can I help? And the ever popular, you'll get over it. That is snarky. Oh, no, you f instead you would say, I know you feel upset. What can you do to feel better? You want to know the truth? Yeah, one of these are actually answers are actually very good. Because while the one, the the positive, toxic positive ones, I agree, most of them actually aren't helpful. Um, but they're just not helpful. Even though it depends on the stage and the part of the conversation. Because sometimes something like, well, you know, there's only a couple weeks left. You can get through it. You can push through it. You know you can do it. It, it, it's you're actually pumping somebody up, reminding them that they're strong. You're reminding them that they're courageous. You're reminding them that they have that they have the strength to get through this. So it depends. <laughs> okay, so something like that actually depends. It depends on you, your relationship with the person, you know, the person, the stage that that person's at, and dealing with whatever it is they're dealing with. And, you know, so there is some flexibility on that first one, and then. Just enjoy all the free time you have now. Again, with the first one, there's some truth to that. Hey, look, let's find the silver linings here. You've got a lot of free time now. There's something you can, you know, you, you wanted to pick up crochet or you wanted to learn to sew or you, you wanted to, to learn Japanese, whatever it is, you know, hey, you've got an opportunity to do that now. So take advantage of it. Hey, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but you know, take what you can get, right? There's some truth to that, and that can be empowering. It, it can be, depending upon the stage you're at. You know, you don't do that with somebody who's just starting to deal with their problems. You know, that's something if somebody's kind of in the middle stages or advanced stages of coping, right? When they've kind of gotten through the initial, the initial grief, the initial confusion, the, the initial shock you know, and your relationship, you know, if, if you're only quasi related to somebody, that's kind of a dick move. But if, you know, your best friend, your sister, or someone you have a close relationship to, you know, when to give them a kick in the pants, you know, when to give them a hug, right? <laughs> you know, you know, both of them can be done with love. 
you know, and you know the difference. If you have a good relationship with someone, you know the difference. And you know how a gentle kick in the butt sometimes is useful. You know, I tell my mother, she has the right to make that choice, you know, to when to give me a gentle kick in the butt because she knows me well enough to know when it will be useful. And, you know, sometimes I need it. Well, she's your mother. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, other people, you can do it too. You, you know, you you probably wouldn't until it's too past the time. You probably could, but that's a whole other question. That's not really my style. No, but theoretically, anyway. Theoretically, if I, it, it would have to be something unique. And I would be careful and choose my words wisely because you have a defiance thing going on. So uh, well, that, would, that would be. Well, I, sometimes I have to, I've had to do it with you on occasion. I'm, 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 you know, it doesn't happen very often. No. No, but, you know, that's what a loving caring, close relationship is. You know, when the difference is to sometimes, hey, you know, can you contemplate this? Think about that, will you? <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, how you approach it. Now, these other ones, it could be worse. Yeah, it could always be worse. What's your point? <laughs> yeah, no matter how bad things are, it can always get worse. It can always start to rain, right? You know, <laughs> Yeah, and you can do something. There's, you can always do something dumb to make something worse. It's always possible to make something worse. So of course it could be worse. That's just not helpful in any shape, matter, or form. And but this is condescending. It sounds like things sure are difficult right now. That's it's a little condescending. Yeah, and I get it. You know, there's maybe there's sometimes there's not anything good to say. Oh, that sucks, dude. It's the best you can do. That's the best you can do. You know, sometimes there's just nothing good to say. And so what you're actually doing is just say something that's not going to make things worse. Because it could always get worse. So what's the theory first? Do no harm. Sometimes shutting the hell up is the best thing to do. Just saying. <laughs> Am I not correct? Well, if it's followed by a hug, yeah, even better. Well, sometimes don't say anything. Just give the hug. Yeah. Sometimes the hug says more than any words you can say. You don't need to say anything. Just give the hug. The hug is going to tell you more than the words will. They just will. Anyway. So, so that's my whole thing about all this. It's just... I just, you know, I'm sitting here with a, trying to wrap this up, and I can't find a good way to wrap it up because it's not quite right. It's intentions matter. Even if someone isn't being helpful, if they're trying to be, take the, what how it's try to try to take it how it's intended. You know what I mean? You know, if someone's trying to help and they're just don't have the right words, well, then take the intent. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Because knowing the right thing to say is awfully difficult. And sometimes having the courage to say anything to someone when you don't know what to say, but yet you want to express your care. And maybe you're inarticulate at it. It takes a lot of courage. And it can also take a lot of courage to accept that back. So, 
All right. Importance of not comparing yourself to others. Now let's go to some questions. We can come back to some of that stuff if we want to. Okay, cool. Because the rest of that really is, take your time and go through it. I kind of picked on the mighty this week, even though I didn't really pick on them. Um, it's just there's good stories about people being, having courage, independent courage. Whether it's not learning to not compare yourself to others, it takes a lot of courage to create your own yardstick. And judge yourself by your own. Yeah, and this person who wrote the article was very competitive. He was a marathon runner. It's very difficult to start judging yourself by your own yardstick, but it's very freeing at the same time. Because no one has to live your life but you. Okay? And so what happened? The same thing. What happens? Stop not searching. I'll, I'll go through the we'll go through the titles real quick. What happens when you stop searching for validation from others? Well, one, it takes a lot of courage again, because you're you're judging yourself by yourself and no one can hurt you like yourself. Right. No one can hurt you like your own brain. <laughs> you know, your own brain is, is your own worst enemy. For those people with that deal with, you know, emotional or mental health issues. Right. Your own brain. The rest of the world, that ain't nothing compared to what your brain does to you. You know, the stories the brain tells you over and over and over, over again, and over lying over. bastard. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's and so it's hard. Searching for the outside validation, you know, you use somebody else's. OK, I can't trust my. My frame of reference, so I'm going to use somebody else's. But the thing we don't understand is they're in the same boat you are. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. And so you have to create your own. You have to have the courage to live by your own your own conscience. Because no one had no one can live your life but you, but you. You have to live in your own skin. You have to look in the mirror. The unexpected hobby was uh, crochet. And oddly enough, in this particular one, he was OCD. He liked to count, uh, he would count things like syllables and and so numbers kept coming up. And so oddly enough, crochet, the need to count whatever the hell you count in crochets, your uh, hooks or your, your loops or whatever the hell it is. Yes. Yeah. He found that very calming. Good for him. Well, and, well, the, the, the thing is, we're back to the courage theme. It, it takes a lot of courage for somebody to step way outside their boundaries. Didn't have any interest in crochet, but they were trying. Well, I'm willing to try different things to see what something that helped. And he found something that helped. Yeah, yeah. Crochet. Hey, crafting this, trying different crafts, trying to keep your mind and hands occupied found crochet because crochet you have to count the loops or whatever it is hey this is very soothing for me but it takes a lot of courage to try because you're going to try 10 15 20 things before you find it you're going to try and fail who knows how many tasks he tried before he found crocheting how many times you have to say pick yourself back up and try something else Pick yourself back up and try something else. Pick yourself back up and try something else. It gets tiring. To have the courage to keep standing up and keep moving forward. I don't care if you're rolling around on the ground on your belly, just barely moving forward. If you're moving forward, I applaud you. Because that's a courageous effort. Even if all you can do is roll over. It's all you can manage. It's all you can manage. Anyway. And living on my own terms. We'll go past that one. Because that one would be take longer. Alright. What's our first question? Okay. Here we go. 
Can my mom send me to foster care just because I refuse to follow her rules and won't help out? I'm 13. My mom screamed that she's overworked because my dad is disabled. She works full time and I have two little siblings, so I can't be one more issue. Well, one, theoretically, she could, if you're being incorrigible, she could actually send you to foster care. Now, she doesn't actually want to. She's just at the end of her rope. And you're not helping out. Why not? You know, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. You have a disabled dad and younger siblings, and you're 13. You're now a teenager, and your whole world wants to be about you. And I get it. But it's time to grow up. You know, 100 years ago at 13, you were an adult. No, well, a little over 100 years ago. And, you know, your mother's trying. Do the dishes. Help your siblings with the homework. Make your mom's life a little bit easier. One thing. Find one thing to not be a problem. She's literally, all she's asking you is to not be a problem. Now I get it. And at 13, you've got your dad's disabled. Maybe your household isn't exactly functional. You've got a couple siblings and your mom is working full-time jobs and stressed out. Life is difficult and it's not fair. And at 13, all you want is life to be fair. I understand. But life isn't fair. It's never going to be fair. You know, we've been talking about courage all night. You know, we've talked about how our brain is sometimes our own worst enemy. Right now, for this child, their brain is their own worst enemy. Their 13-year-old hormones are their own worst enemy. And, and the thing is, they're aware enough to actually know it. Because they went, they went to, to, a, to a public Quora forum, because I found this one on Quora, and asked a question. So they know that they want to be better. They just don't know how, and they don't have the tools, the people around them to help them. Their mother's stressed out. Their father's disabled, probably dealing with some mental health issues because, you know, assuming that the disability came later, we're assuming he wasn't always disabled. Because, you know, if, if you're always disabled, you know that stress going into the relationship. And so we're assuming that you know, the disability is something new. So everybody's having to adjust to, which is why it's so hard on your mother. You know, there are free options, counseling options. I keep saying this, call the runaway hotlines. They'd much rather talk to you now than before you run away. They'll find you some resources. They'll find you a counselor. They'll find you something. Don't be a problem to your mother. Just try to make... You want your life to be a little easier? Make your mom's life a little easier. Well, you make your mom's life a little easier, your life will become easier. Guarantee it. A less stressed mother will make a less stressed you. And unfortunately, you're the one person right now who can make your life less stressed. You actually have the capability of doing it. You're not, you're old enough to properly take care of yourself, more or less. You're old enough to help out. The rewards will be great if you do. But they're not going to be immediate. That's all I got on that one. Well, that's a lot. All right.
This next one is funny. <laughs> it is. I rejected a job offer in a not very polite way. Is there a way to reapply for the same position? Well, you can. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> You're free. Hey, I've, I've left a job on in a not very polite way, and they hired me back three months later. So they asked me to come back. So it's not impossible. But be prepared to explain yourself. Don't lie. Be honest. Now, it may have to be honest with yourself in order to be honest with them about why you behave that way. You know, why would you do that? Just from a personal perspective, why would you not, why would you be impolite? I mean, was there something so wrong with how they responded to the process that it involved a non-polite response? I mean, ghosting them would be, is a, well, it's not exactly, it's not polite, but it's not non-polite. <laughs> so just not, never responding is one way to, to do it, but this is not polite. So you said, no, thank you, you piece of, I never worked for someone who pays so blah 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 and then now all of a sudden oh on retrospect that job's not so bad now I actually kind of want it because I had unrealistic expectations I'm young and stupid you know <laughs> I don't know hey you know these are stressful times lots of people are doing things that are out of character and there's lots of people who are willing to give uh, leeway. leeway to that if you can explain it. So if you want to reply, reapply. Just be prepared to be an, give an open and honest explanation. And it will go farther than you think. They will appreciate the honesty. If you actually want to work there. If they don't appreciate the honesty, then you don't want to work there anyway. Which is why you burnt your bridges in the first place. Trust your first instinct. Now that may be the other question: Are you doing this out of desperation, or because you've actually changed your mind? Yeah. Why'd you change your mind? Well, because I'm a dick and I need this job now. You know. <laughs> you know. Versus, well, I thought about it and I had unrealistic expectations, and you know, you know, those are two different things. But you got to be honest. Okay, I like this next one. My daughter's a straight A student with SAT around 1500. She's an athlete ranked in the top 50-ish in the less popular sport in the nation. What are her chances at top universities, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford? Well, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, depends. Um, but there's lots of top universities who need women athletes in less popular sports to balance out their football scholarships. So in if you broaden your horizon of top universities, then she's got a great chance. This is a hundred great schools in this country, right? In the Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, your edu education isn't actually any better at those schools. Your networking is. And that's what those schools really get you. And you pay for it. Unless you can get a scholarship. So, it's not that I don't, it's not saying don't try, because if you've got, if you're straight A's in 1500 and add if they have a athletic department, especially if they have a football program where they need to balance out scholarships, then you've got a half decent chance. But remember, there's lots of people, young women out there who've got straight A's, near perfect SATs, and have, and are, you know, are an athlete in a less popular sport because that's the path for them to get scholarships into a top education. <laughs> that's an easy path. It's an easy path to a scholarship for a young woman. Hey, take it. Learn to shot put and go take your ass to the scholarship to, to a college. I'm telling you, you don't even have to have good grades. 
if you're a young woman who does something like shot put, javelin, something like that, yeah, <laughs> you can get you can get a scholarship to a college that has you know maybe not the greatest college, but if you're not the greatest student, you you're just wanting to get into college, right? You don't have to go to the North Idaho State or something. It doesn't matter, right? You're getting into school. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if you're a young woman and, and you're in high school and you do not not sure how you're going to pay for college, get yourself into a track, uh, track and field sport, shot put or javelin or something like that. All right. Oh, this I, I personally like this one. Our lead software engineer is the best at what he does, but he is only available in working hours, even if we need him for an emergency matter. What should I do about him? Well, you're going to have to make a choice, ain't you? Do you either want him working nine to his eight to five job, or do you want him for emergency things? Because this is how he, this guy, particular guy, he wants to work his job and go home. He'll, he wants to work his nine to five. He will put in his eight and go home. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if that doesn't fit your needs, then hire then someone else. Yeah. Then hire someone who does. You're going to have to make a choice because he's made his choice. He can find another job. He's not worried. Clearly. He's telling you to stuff it with overtime and he's not caring. So he's not worried about replacing his job. He's not worried. So you have to make the choice. How much do you need him there from day to day? Hire someone else to do the emergencies. Or maybe you have to compensate him more for those emergencies. Hey, look, Bob, you're great. We love you. But on occasion, we need you to work emergencies. I know you don't like it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay you triple time. Yeah. If that's what you really want, but be prepared for him to say no. He holds the cards because you've just said it. He's your best engineer. What do you actually want out of him? Do you want him to do his daily job or do you want him to deal with emergencies? He doesn't want to, right? He, maybe he doesn't want to deal with emergencies. It's not his thing. He wants to sit there and do his coding. Emergencies are other people's problem. He doesn't want the stress. I've actually known someone when I grew up, a friend of mine, his, his dad was a, a software engineer at a, at a DMV for a DMV. Been there for a long time. He kept refusing promotions. No, no. Precisely because. They didn't want the stress. He didn't want the stress. He didn't want the responsibility. Just look, he even would go in and help do the things. He'd do the emergency work. He'd do the work of the people who were, he, he didn't want the response. He didn't want the stress. I don't want to be responsible for it. It's not what I'm here for. I just want to write code. <laughs> I don't want to do any management crap. I just want to write code. And he knew if he got a promotion, he'd be spending more time in meetings and all the other stuff he didn't want to do. He didn't want the stress. He just wanted to write code. <laughs> you know? He doesn't want to do this other stuff. He doesn't want to do emergency repair. He wants to write code. Leave him alone. All right, I like this last one. Should I get married or stay single? How the hell am I supposed to know? <laughs> That's a really personal decision. My, if you're asking it, well, I suppose that's the first step to getting the answer, but do you have a partner or is this theoretical? You know, do you have someone, has someone asked you? Is there someone you're contemplating asking? Is or is this just you know a theoretical question about you know life question life philosophy question? Do I want to get married now? What do you mean by married? The marriage license, or do you want to have the emotional marriage? You know, without the federal government involved, the government involved. You know, like our friend that we have a couple of people who got married but didn't get a traditional marriage certificate. There's other ways. There's other ways to. There's oddly enough. There's other ways to get married. Who? Oh, you'll have to tell me later. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Do it again, woman. What's wrong with you? 
twice in one show. Odd. <laughs> Good things I'm on my toes for this kind of thing. But, uh, no. And I'm not even sure that's the right place to start ask, asking the question. The question is, what do you actually want out of life? It's not whether you want to be married or not. That question will answer itself when you find a person. You know, and you'll define what type of marriage, what type of relationship you want is its own question. Those are personal questions and we can't answer them here. But the question is, do you want a stable long-term relationship? And how do you define that? That's the real question you want. How do you define what you want out of your personal relationships. And, you know, it takes a lot of, we're going to go back to this. I'm going to beat this courage word to death tonight, but it takes a lot of courage to go your own path. We've talked about this again and again and again. Maybe what you're actually asking is, I don't want to be married. I want to be single and I want everybody else to be okay with it. Good luck with that. Well, you have to get to the point where you don't care if everybody else is okay with it. Just like sometimes when you get married and everybody else isn't okay with who you're getting married with and you have to get, well, I don't care if everybody else is okay with it. You know, maybe you should listen to them, maybe not. But, you know, my parents don't like my my future spouse, what am I going to do? My parents don't like that my future spouse is the same sex as I am. What am I going to do? Well, it takes a lot of courage. Say, so I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Bite me. It does. But ultimately, you have to do it because if you don't, you're not being your true self, are you? If you don't have the courage to be honest with yourself and to live your life in an open and honest way, you don't have the courage to live your life in an open and honest way. And if you're not open and honest, what are you? You're closed at best. Closed and quiet at best. At worst, you're a negative liar. But life is easy if you're closed and quiet, seemingly. You miss out on a lot. Yeah. But you also don't get hammered, you know? The snail that sticks up is the one that gets hammered, right? Open and honest. You stand out. Now, if everybody was open and honest, you wouldn't stand out anymore. That's the trick. So the question for us is how do we live our lives in an open, honest, and courageous way so that other people can say, oh, I can do that too. Because the more people who do it, the better our lives will be. All of us. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't ultimately what we all want is to live a better life for not just ourselves, but for future generations? Whether it's a better culture, whether it's a better environment, whether it's better technology, what we all want. So it's what we always wanted. It's from when we first started to control fire, to learn how to control fire. We did that because we wanted life better. But, you know, the attempts to control fire took a lot of courage because fire can burn you. Put it too close to the cave entrance, it can suffocate you. You know, took a lot of courage to figure all that stuff out. Takes a lot of courage to move forward against the pushes 
tides of culture. To be yourself amidst your own inner workings. But what's your alternative? If you're not strong and courageous, you are meek and powerless. You are a victim. And none of us want to be that, now do we? So, for me and Lubby, we want to thank you for listening. We want to remind you that you can find us at latenightlove.us. You can find us on Facebook at The Late Night Love. You can find us on Late Night Love at all your other social media platforms. You can send the Lubbynator over there an email at dearlubby at love at latenightlove.us. And you can find me at Jazzrec on Twitter. And from me and Lubby, we want to thank you for joining us. There it is. And uh, please remember to love everybody. Good night.